Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block. This show is being recorded live and will be available shortly thereafter as a podcast. We invite anyone listening to the podcast to join us live and share your thoughts on the issues we discuss. We also invite everyone to send questions, comments, and feedback to our email address, which is ejsshow at protonmail.com. And please chime in with anything you would like us to discuss that you haven't heard us discuss. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jody. Hey, Steve. Miles. Hi, guys. Always smiling. <laughs> where, where do I start today? Um, I don't know. Should we start with the positive or the negative? I'm getting a kick out of this story that our illustrious vice president is having an all-female senator's party at her home. Now, taking away the two letters, which on the chemical chart, I believe, stand for iron. Can you imagine <laughs> if Mike Pence had a dinner for the only male senators and excluded the females? And I'm only mentioning it because we all know that wouldn't happen. Well, you know yeah. what? Kamala's dinner might have more testosterone than that dinner. Ooh. Ouch. <laughs> good one. Always reminded why we have Ed on the show. Very, very good point. Then there's a story the American Psychoanalytic Association published an article. I'm embarrassed to be a psychotherapist, but at least I'm not into the analytic stuff. Whiteness is a malignant, parasitic-like condition. But the only good news in that is I understand hydroxy is anti-parasitic. Am I correct? <laughs> I think that's correct, Steve. <laughs> so maybe, some funny zingers coming out. I don't know. Maybe that can help me cure my whiteness if it can't help me with COVID. I mean, I Lord think no. we're laughing about it, but proposed genocide is really not a laughing matter. And, and that's really what's on the on the agenda. The attacks on whites are increasing in both frequency and in uh, strength. Uh, right now, I think that the white population sort of brushes it aside and just uh, assumes that because it's still the, the majority, there's no real danger. But what did you say, Jody? Sorry, my dog was barking. I'm sorry. Oh, there's there's real danger there, and and. You know, it's not it's not imminent yet, but it's it's on the horizon. And um, sure, we can joke about it if if we're trying to ridicule them, but we we also need to recognize it's a deadly serious matter. There are people, there are a lot of people, mostly on the left, that want to annihilate the white race, and they're willing to do it, whether through violence or through interbreeding or what or starving us out through cancel culture. Um, it's real, and, and it's something that needs to be a subject of discussion. So it brings me to the next two stories, because as the article reads, a top New York City law school announced Thursday students will be required to take courses on systemic racism and critical race theory to graduate. <coughs> Excuse me. I have no idea how many other law schools are doing this. This is Cardozo School of Law. Um, Ed. They're considered a good school, correct? They're considered a, they're the, probably the best second tier school or 
Fordham is probably the best second tier school, but they're probably the third best second tier school in, in New York city. Right. So um, they're, they're not the dregs. Um, nope. Sadly, they're part of Yeshiva University. For those who don't know, Yeshiva University is Jewish and ostensibly Orthodox. But it, like so many other places, has been overwhelmed by pressure from the left, whether within the Jewish population or without. Now, they do get apparently a choice on which class to take. They can take race and the law, critical race theory, indigenous rights in the Americas, and cross-cultural negotiation. Actually, I guess the latter one may help, but the other three, you know, just another place where the being white is being overwhelmed and okay, training so, your generations to see it that way. Yeah, Jody. Yeah, so no, I, do you really think it's about whiteness as in skin color? I, I think it's about whiteness as in non-leftist. Because if you're black, you're being labeled, you can be labeled as whiteness or white adjacent, they'll say. And I think if, if, we, if we kind of bring it down, if you're a leftist white person, I think you'll be spared. I think it's less about white skin and more about beliefs that have to do with anything non-leftist. Jody, just, are you saying that anybody who didn't vote for Biden ain't black? Where would you get that idea from? <laughs> oh, wait, from Joe Biden. I think it's, you know, as is very typical, it's just a, a faulty play on terms. They weaponize words. The words they weaponize don't necessarily mean what they've always meant. They twist it. And I think this is an example of that, where they don't really mean whiteness as in skin color. They mean whiteness as in what they believe to be wrong. And that could change and does change regularly. And it could change next week. I so, think there are a lot of white liberals who subscribe to what you just said, Jody. And I think that they're very mistaken and it's gonna have deadly consequences for them. Who's the, uh, black congressman, who's the black congressman not being allowed into the Congressional Black Caucus? Well, that, the, there have been Republicans that have tried. Oh, oh Burgess Owens, I think. Burgess, has tried, yeah, right? I mean, it's been all over the papers this week that they won't let him into the caucus. So in that sense, you're totally right. It, it's horrible to be white. It may not help to be black. And even a white liberal has to do this to either virtue signal or to fit in or to whatever. They don't. It's not like they're, they can opt out of these courses because you have an ACLU card in your pocket, but it's not enough to be black. So Ed, you, you kind of think that those white leftists, I don't like to call them liberals because it's a complete dereliction of the use of the term to even use it with them. That's why I always say leftists. But the white leftists you think are basically the useful idiots of the moment. They're they don't know that they're going to be one of the first ones gone once that which they've ushered in rears its true ugly head. Yep. I think that's right. That's exactly right. Okay. I would not be surprised. And it, this leads to, you know, the story of our esteemed attorney general of the United States reiterating once again that the greatest danger in this country is white supremacy. So this war to destroy whites is really, really serious. The amount of indoctrination now in the military 
is absolutely mind-blowing um, how they're pushing these theories in the military academies. So like, like Ed said, it's not just talk. This is absolute indoctrination. And at some point, a little bit of Tinder could uh, be set off. So what is, what is the end game, do you think, for, are, are they just using race as the means to the end of, you know, power that has nothing to do with race in the end? I think we're dealing with, the, I think the end game is destruction. And I think we're dealing with nihilists. Our, our mindset is, what's your goal? What are you trying to build? What are you trying to accomplish? And I think they just have a completely different mindset. They're not trying to build anything. They're trying to destroy. And maybe they'll rebuild. They think they might rebuild something later, but they have no capacity to rebuild a civilization. They have no capacity to, to build, you know, an Ikea piece of furniture. So <laughs> I think it's about destruction. I don't think it's about building anything or creating anything. Okay, so this might sound really dumb, but I almost feel a little bit of solace in that. Like if it were really smart people who had that all planned out where the end game is really rock solid. But I feel like if it's just about annihilation, then those who know and those who can rebuild can fight for the purpose of rebuilding? Or am I being naive and stupid? Well, you're not being naive and stupid. I would never use those words to describe you, Jody. but I, I don't <laughs> I, think that- I can. <laughs> I don't think that um, it's gonna be easy even for the, for the good people to rebuild once the society is destroyed. I mean, part of destroying the society is gonna be massive food shortages and starvation. Lots of people are gonna die. Right, I'm not saying it would be easy, but I'm saying at least with that, almost it's almost like there would be then a black hole. No, is that, that's not the word, that's not the word. But at least- I think the phrase is dark ages. <laughs> yeah, oh God. You know, yeah, that's just awful. I was gonna say, whether they're nihilist or nihilist, the way Ed says, which is philosophically probably a really good point. So whether they intend it or not, they don't get to decide where it ends, whether they have an end game in mind or not. And you look at South Africa and whether the end game was this or not, they go around killing whites indiscriminately and destroying people's lives and it loses control and as I'm saying that, I'm realizing that is happening in America where they're burning down cities, et cetera, et cetera. So whether that's their goal or not, it could result in some really violent stuff and maybe resulting in very violent stuff right now. Not to mention the January 6th people still in jail and supposedly in solitary confinement while the BLM people are out on, on bail or not even being charged. Well, you know, the whole January 6th thing is just the, it's the clumsiest recreation of the Reichstag fire imaginable. I mean, that's, that's really what's going on. Um, 
thankfully for us, the leftists in America are not as efficient as the German Nazis were, but uh, that's, that's all that this is about. This is about trying to create an emergent exigent situation or, or the perception of an exigent situation and use it to create emergency powers for the Democrat party in exactly the same way that the Reichstag fire was used to create emergent powers for the Nazi party. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I wanna single out one person on this uh, show because intersectionality wise, the most privileged person that we have with us would be Mike. Since all of us, <laughs> all of us have some minority status, even uh, if- Pocahontas is my <laughs> direct descendant, hello. Okay, you have you have minority status. And yeah. Ed and I have a claim to minority status. But I, I think when you apply for jobs, Mike, you're the last in line, aren't you? Uh, it's, it's quite possible. I, I would think that you, uh, Ed, and I would be last in line. Yeah. So do you have any comments on all this uh, white supremacist being the biggest danger in the world? And uh, I mean, the, the propaganda knows no bounds. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, obviously, is the analogy with, with the Nazis and the Jews, and that's what it feels like. You know, Tucker has talked about the one town in Georgia that's been seen targeted indiscriminate shootings of white people. People Tell me, I don't know what you're referring to. Tell me what you're referring to. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a town, I think it's part of Atlanta. It's part of Atlanta, Buckhead, and, I think. Yeah, and there's no real policing going on given everything that's happened in our society over the past year and, and some of the commands from the mayor there. And so all of a sudden we, we're seeing white people being targeted for no reason whatsoever other than their skin color and being shot at. Um, there was a gentleman who was jogging the other day and he was shot. Uh, and he was hit twice. He's, he's in the hospital. So um, that town is now looking to separate itself from Atlanta. And there are bills coming before. Actually, I think it's going to be on the ballot this year. They're going to get a chance to vote to separate from Atlanta and create their own police force, their own city. So maybe that's a ray of hope. You know, yeah. I mean, perhaps this this is what it may take <laughs> in certain situations. But to me, maybe that, that's a ray of hope. Uh, I, I see it more pessimistically. It's more, we're farther along towards the end game than we want to be. I mean, we talk a lot about separation on, on a, you know, on the level. We talk about it on a political sure. level. Sure. But I mean, ultimately, it, I mean, it has political ramifications. But I, I think there's an element of self-separation there. I mean, they want their own police department. They want their own local government. They don't want to be governed by the rest of Atlanta. And they're, they're looking for self-government. <laughs> they want to live in a, in a civilized society. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I see it as... I actually see want it. that still. <laughs> I see some optimism in it and rays of hope. So to get back to Tucker, because he's the one who helped get out this story about, speaking of the Reichstag, that a lot of this was, if not orchestrated, um, supported, infiltrated, whatever you want, January 6th by the FBI. And um, you know, I was not born a cynic, maybe hard to believe. I know I've fathered some cynics. 
And I try not to believe wacko things, but do uh, anybody of you know who Yitzhak Rabin was? Of course. Okay, Ed for sure. And Yitzhak Rabin, who once upon a time was a phenomenal general and then became prime minister and then joined the left and made the Oslo agreements and I believe won a Nobel prize together with Bill Clinton and he was assassinated. And when he was assassinated, that became the Reichstag in Israel to do amazing, amazing things to crush the right, which is what the media in Israel and the left in Israel wanted to do. And there have been people yelling for years and years that there is solid evidence that whoever actually pulled the trigger, even if he was the one who pulled the trigger, was egged on by, shall we say, the intelligence community. I don't know if any of you guys have ever heard of this before, but there's a lot of evidence to that. And that, that is, part I hadn't heard. It is really, really scary. Now, again, is a tinfoil hat, you know, who killed Kennedy? Will we ever know who killed Kennedy? I always think these things are tinfoil hat. But there's a recording after Rabin was shot of someone saying they're blanks. And there's some reason to believe that the person who shot him was not the one who killed him. But because of the way the press works to cover things up, just like in America, one will never know. Now, to me, if it were obviously not true, make the best investigation in the world. But once you start saying you're not allowed to mention that, it becomes a little more suspect. So the Reichstag thing is not, I'm sure you guys who know more history than I do, it's probably happened many, many times in history. Well, I mean, that's the underlying basis for Rahm Emanuel saying, never let a crisis go to waste. Right. right I mean, but that's, even that's even if you mantra. have to create the crisis, so correct. I mean, I remember in Israel that they really, really used it as an opportunity to crush the right in many, many ways. And the way they're using January sixth, that you can openly have an attorney general talking the way he does about whites, and again, instituting all the stuff in the military, it has unbelievable consequences. I think it's magnificent. That I guess Tucker is the biggest voice. I would assume, pushing this stuff out there. I don't know, is it registering with anybody? Does it matter? I think it's gonna take some time. But Tucker does have a pretty big audience. I mean, we'll see. But again, like, uh, what was it, Ron Johnson, who was uh, suspended from YouTube again for apparently putting up something about congressional testimony about hydroxy or something. Every time somebody tries to say anything close to the truth, Big Tech finds some way to mute it or silence it. Okay, and well, I know I we- think... Go ahead, Jody. No, I was just gonna say, I know we keep, we talk about this a lot and there has to be a solution because on the one hand, I get it there. I know, I know Ed, you, your, your suggestion is the solution is, is government oriented and I'm not saying it's not, but how, something has to be done that they silence conversations, important debates and discussions. Just, they can't, how can Ron Johnson not have a lawsuit? It's just because they're a private platform and like, I don't know, it's madness, but something has to be done. So the Senator Roger Wicker, MS is Mississippi, right? Yeah, Mississippi. I thought it was some disease. 
Before you get to that, Steve, I just wanted to, before I, I don't want to forget what I was going to say before. Yeah. I think that we're not going to get to the bottom of the whole January 6th thing until somebody somewhere questions the sergeants at arms of the House and the Senate, because we know that there was intelligence given to them that there was a possible riot coming and they were, they gave the order to the Capitol police to stand down. And that's part of why the Capitol police let people in. And the only two people who could give those orders were Pelosi and McConnell respectively. And while I might not be surprised that Pelosi would give that order, I think that until McConnell is forced to answer what he knew and when he knew it and, you know, what did he know about the intelligence coming to him before January 6th? And what did he tell the sergeant at arms? That's really, I think, the key to the whole puzzle. And no one's really pushing that. I mean, Tucker hasn't really mentioned it too much. Tucker talks about how we don't know what happened on January 6th. Um, and we don't know why all these people are being held. But I think the key to the puzzle is what did McConnell and Pelosi say to the sergeants at arms for, for the House and Senate? Because I think that's where your answer is going to be. And I don't think that the Republicans want that answer found out. Why do you think they're not asking? I mean, who's the they? they? Um, Tucker, anyone who really want anyone in a position of, you know, bringing information forward, whether it's Tucker or uh, a, a Republican, not Mitch McConnell-esque, who might care. Why aren't they asking? I don't know why Tucker's not asking that question. That's a that's an excellent question. I don't know why. Um, if I, I actually thought about tweeting something to him, but he doesn't seem to tweet that often. Um, if there were a way to, to put it in front of him, I, I think I would. Because um, maybe he doesn't know to ask. He seems like a pretty sharp guy. I, I don't know, know why he right. he's not. Hmm. I mean, the scary part is people don't ask questions like you just alluded to when they don't want to know the answers. Mm -hmm. Again, well, we, we don't exactly have a, a press that would go and ask those questions. I mean, he, he's asked a lot, I think a lot of questions. Maybe that's just an angle he hasn't taken up yet. Um, you know, he's obviously been focused on the, the woman who got shot and they've covered that up. <laughs> Nobody. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Matt Gates have been pretty loud. Maybe that maybe it's worth tweeting out to them. Yeah, they were that's the thought. So they were what I was kind of thinking when I was saying the Republicans who, you know, the non Mitch McConnell Republican types who do care and do want answers. Maybe that's a good question for them to ask. I think but so. Send them messages. See if they'll, you know, maybe they just don't know All to ask. Can. It's true. But you'll be, that's true. Everybody listening. The reason I brought up that senator um, is because we're talking about what do we do with big tech? So he's trying to sponsor this bill to promote free speech and, you know, somehow rein in big tech. But there are people, I won't say on our side because they're libertarians, who are very much against it. And it keeps going back to the same argument we have every week that do we want government controlling private businesses? And unfortunately, that splits the opposition, so we'll never win anything. So I think if I could articulate it, I don't want government 
uh, controlling businesses, but I want the individuals to have power in the system of business too. So it's that sort of dichotomy that I feel is not working in this situation. Just like with healthcare, you know, I don't want government telling healthcare providers what to do, but I don't want consumers, otherwise known as patients, lacking control in the system either. My, I think my issue with it is government already is telling businesses what to do pretty much all the time. Yeah. And to carve out the one laissez-faire exception for when leftists are the ones running businesses and want to discriminate just seems beyond odd. It seems counterproductive and, um, you know, a false application of, of the, the constitution and, and our, our system. I mean, not to mention suicidal. Right. That too. I mean, I, I don't get it. Do these people really believe what they're saying? I, I obviously, I don't know the people who run reason magazine, but they have a 5% voice in the population. Do they really believe this garbage that we don't have to rein in big tech? Because if we don't rein in big tech, you know, we got a few months ago, there were so many of these alternate platforms, but I haven't seen one of them yet split from the pack. You know, I put up a story in the show notes about another person who was deep. Can you say debanked? Unbanked? What's the correct yes, word? Yes, debanked, I de-banked. think. How do we know it's not unbanked? Uh, Maybe it de-banked is. Debanked is what Michelle Malkin said. That was her words. She said debanked, but it sounds like then the past participle would be debunked, and debunked means something else, right? So I don't know. But anyway, that's, that's for another day. But another person who's been debanked and... <laughs> It's not just the big tech that's censoring, it's the entire business world that is able to. You know, if we get big enough, they could debank us. And this is really, really scary. And you know, you talk about Germany. So I always used to say, people ask me all the time in my position, where were the leaders of the Jews in the 30s? And I said, they were also sitting around the exact same table saying what I'm saying, yelling and screaming. And you guys weren't listening because it's easy to say, where were the leaders? Why weren't they yelling? But they may have been yelling. And in a previous life, we may have been on the EJS show in 1935 in Germany yelling. And then people will come after us and say, why didn't you yell? Well, we are, but nobody cares. Right. I mean, it, the whole private, you know, private party and private business distinction, it just, it brings to mind another one of the, the first official acts in the, of the, during the Nazi regime was the uh, April 1st, 1933 boycott that was um, suggested, I guess, by the Nazi party. I mean, they didn't pass a law. They didn't pro- make it illegal to go and buy at Jewish businesses, but they had people, you know, they had Nazi party members standing outside businesses, taking notes on who was buying and who was not buying. And, you know, was that private action or public action? I think that's a little bit stronger example than what we have today, but uh, not all that much more, especially given that um, it's not just the American government that's involved in this censorship. It's the Chinese government. All of these businesses are working in China. All of them follow the orders of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, particularly the media organizations, 
they listen to what the Chinese party said, communist party says can and can't be disseminated. Um, the fact that the, that the the government actor is in a foreign country doesn't make the censorship more beneficial. It makes it worse, not better. So um, that's my thought on it. You know, Margie Taylor Greene supposedly went to some Holocaust museum and then apologized for comparing, I don't know whether it was vaccine passports or whatever it was, to the Holocaust. And I think the point is, we're not living through the Holocaust. We're living through extremely early steps of what could lead to a Holocaust. And I don't know right. why people can't get that distinction. So she's not saying we're being put in the gas chambers. She's saying that if we don't stop it soon, we'll go to another place and then to another place and then to another place, and then it will be too late. And I don't know why that's not legitimate to say. So I know I, I've had that same thought. I'm distressed how many times I hear even people that I respect intellectually say, you lose the argument the minute you make any comparison, which to me is a very anti-intellectual position because history is for to learn. History is, is to go back and look and see, okay, well, they did this, which led to this, which led to this. That's valuable pieces of information. And so taking, for example, the Reichstag fire, not to do the comparison, oh, we're all gonna end up in gas chambers, but who knows, but look at what they did and look at the similarities that you can consider with January 6th to learn from history, to see, you know, they did this, why, for this reason? and. Could they be doing the same thing January 6th for the same reason? History is supposed to be there to learn from. Agreed. And I, I, it's been a strategy of the left for a long time to advocate a disintegrated mind. Yeah. Going all the way back to when FDR proposed Social Security, people on the right were pointing out how this was the first step towards socialism. And the left always just poo-pooed it and said, no, even today, if you say, oh, you're socialists, they'll say, no, we just are for social security. Everybody supports social security. And, and th their whole uh, method of operating is to never integrate all the steps together yeah. to where it ultimately leads. So uh -huh. th their, their whole method is to disintegrate the mind and to oppose integrating the steps so that you can see what the big picture is and where things are going. I think um, not too long ago, Naomi Wolf was talking about that, right? It was like, she has 10 steps towards uh, totalitarianism. And I think she right. had it at stage seven or eight. <laughs> so, I mean, it's obviously intellectually ridiculous to not even, you know, consider and realize what's happening before us, you know? You know, I sometimes think of it in terms of the canary in the coal mine and I believe the purpose of that is when the canary dies, get the heck out, right? But then everybody nowadays is saying, well, don't pay attention, it's just a canary. So that's right. kind of how, how I look at it. Well, if you don't pay attention to the canary, at what point will you start paying attention? Nobody wants it to go that far. We just want to stop it way, <coughs> way before. And, you know, they, they made a big deal in New Hampshire, I think it was, where they wrote on people's hands at the prom that they weren't vaccinated and they were comparing that to Nazi Germany. And when you talk about incrementalism, so our fearless leader in New Hampshire, Elliot, was telling me yesterday, he was at a meetup 
with several state reps and people extremely involved in New Hampshire politics. And about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, New Hampshire tried to pass a Family Medical Leave Act. Um, it was a very, very small tax. And it was like suggested and you could opt in or you could opt out. You seem to remember this, Mike. I know Elliot was extremely involved in trying to stop that from passing because he's saying it's opening the door to an income tax. And yesterday he bumped into a couple of state reps. And interestingly enough, this Family Medical Leave Act was put into the current budget, which has to be signed, I think, within the next few weeks. And these reps who are calling themselves the Freedom Caucus in New Hampshire are saying, we will not pass this budget if they don't take it out. And what was really interesting is one of Elliot's friends, who's very much like us, so to speak, is saying it's no big deal. It's extremely tiny. It's only applying to government workers and it's not gonna grow. And Elliot was fascinated by the fact that somebody he wouldn't have expected to is saying, don't worry about it. It's not gonna blow up into something more. It's just, where do you, where do you know? All they need to Go do is to look at New Jersey. I mean, <laughs> New Jersey's already done this. It was first, it was unpaid family leave, and then now it's like paid family leave. It's incrementalism, which is what we're talking or, about. Or go back to when the income tax was first enacted in 1913, and it was like a half a percent on million dollar incomes of 1913 money. Yeah. And, you know, they, everyone said, oh, it's only going to affect a couple of thousand taxpayers. Now it affects everybody. I think part of the thing is another. everybody on this show is a decent person. And I think decent people have a hard time ascribing indecent intentions on the part of the other side. And we really don't want to believe that it's going to grow incrementally. Well, I for one don't have a problem ascribing evil intentions to the other side. I know that. But that's because you're mature. You've got no, you've you've gotten past that. But I think intrinsically it's a struggle for certain people to say other people won't keep their word. You know, that was like the famous thing with Reagan. He goes, Well, I believe them when they said there'd be no more amnesty. Decent people don't want to believe that they're being lied to. That's just a thought. I don't know if it's true or not. It takes a heck of an evasion to uh, you know not understand that government just continues to grow and grow. <laughs> It never cuts itself in size, right? Yeah, I think Thomas Sowell made a statement about that. But um, if you don't mind, I want to switch to the positive in the news because there's a lot of positive in the news. So I assume everybody has seen the letter that the Arizona Attorney General sent Merrick Garland. Yep. I actually, I have to read it because it's so magnificent. Dear Attorney General Garland, Late last week, you made troubling comments about the ongoing efforts in states to ensure election integrity. Your statements displayed an alarming disdain for state sovereignty as defined under the 10th Amendment of the United States Constitution and the election provisions in Articles 1 and 2. Your comments followed a May 5th letter from Pamela Carlin of the Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division, blah, blah, blah. This letter appeared more interested in supporting the hysterical outcries of leftist pundits on cable television rather than the rule of law. My office is not amused 
by the DOJ's posturing and will not tolerate any effort to undermine or interfere with our state Senate's audit to reassure Arizonans of the accuracy of our elections. We stand ready to defend federalism and state sovereignty against any partisan attacks or federal overreach. It is important to remember that the states created the federal government, not the other way around. America's founders intentionally restrained the federal government's constitutional boundaries to ensure each state could flourish in unique ways. Today, our federal government has largely forgotten the founders' intent, but my office has not. My office looks for ways to work alongside the federal government to uphold our laws within the constraints of the 10th Amendment and the election pro provisions in Articles 1 and 2. As I have demonstrated several times, however, Arizona will not sit back and let the Biden administration abuse its authority, refuse to uphold laws, or attempt to commandeer our state's sovereignty. Can I get an amen? Amen. An a woman. That letter, where has that been? That is, we, we wouldn't have written it so strongly. I think I would have, but. <laughs> I mean, when that was a great last, letter. When's yeah. the last time a state person literally lambasted a federal person in these kind of terms? Good well, question. Is he going to have, you know, people behind him and supporting him is, the, is another good question. I mean, to have the guts, you know, this takedown reminds me of um, a certain Ed who testified in front of a committee in New Hampshire and read 51 clauses of the constitution to them and how they were breaking them all. Remember that, Ed? <laughs> I mean, this is- Yeah, I remember. This is, this is an unbelievable takedown. This is, can you imagine if there would be Republicans like this in Congress? It would be nice. I don't know what he had for breakfast that morning, but <laughs> to literally say states created the federal government, stuff that's been forgotten by civics classes for decades and decades, to say, I will not tolerate. This is like, almost like he's listening to our show. And when the wackos on the show say things like we should send the uh, state troopers to stop the National Guard from coming in, th this is really tough stuff. Yeah, it was a good letter. I, I, I think was was there not another letter somewhere that th that threatened federal officials with jail time if they try and interfere? Um, I'm not sure. There may have been. I don't know. It could be. I, this letter, I, again, I, I assume he wouldn't have sent it if he thought he had no backing from anywhere. So I, you know, he doesn't want to just be hanging out there all alone. But it's it's absolutely mind boggling. I assume a lot of people in Washington never heard of state sovereignty or 10th amendments or <laughs> constitutional clauses. So, and I guess in a sense, as I'm thinking about it, we could support this gentleman just by sending emails to him and saying, you know, kudos. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember North Carolina bucking some of the bathroom laws, but I don't remember any state official ever coming out that strong for state sovereignty. And Arizona is a McCain state, right? What do you mean by a McCain state? It's a rhino state mostly by the Republicans, isn't it? That's the problem. It's a, it's a McCain machine and a lot of them aren't like this. 
there's also some Goldwater Republicans still in Arizona. Right. I'm just saying it probably takes more guts. Yeah. Because he's bucking not just Democrats, he's bucking that machine. I mean, I is don't know any, how much. Is I'm there any to... state party in the U.S. that's not, uh, you know, a Rockefeller Republican party? I mean, I can't think of any state that where the where the conservatives are firmly in control. You're probably correct. I mean, I guess you got to give Florida some credit at the moment, but because of the governor. But I don't know, how do we make this letter like this should be the most widely disseminated thing like in history? Post it up to the Liberty Block. It, because it really is. It's a civics lesson and it, it almost make you think, makes you think there's hope. Which is not something. Some of us still have some hope, Steve. (laughs) And then there was the, um, you guys saw the thing from the two Nevada counties saying they're constitutional counties. You saw that one? I did. That was good. This is also, I mean, just magnificent. Again, counties, the way I understand it, don't have any of the powers of the states. Like officially, they don't have authority to do things, correct? Say that again, Steve? Officially, counties don't have authorities. The states do. So states well, they, all have, they usually have self-rule, but the state has supervisory power. Right. So I think it's fantastic that this county put out a, a resolution like this. It's, it's phenomenal. I don't know if they have any legal power to actually enforce something. And maybe that depends on which state. I mean, it's the equivalent of you know, all these leftist sanctuary cities and sanctuary counties, do they have the authority to do it? No, but who's going to stop them? Well, nobody's going to stop the left, but I don't know if anybody would stop the right. But I know we we talk about fighting back and at least these are several people who have really, really taken it on publicly. But that's a good thing. You know, part of taking the fight to the enemy is, is making them have to do something, right? I mean, if they did that in California, if, if a couple of California counties did it, the state is run by Democrats and the Democrats would, would overwhelm them. Nevada is sort of a purplish state. There's a lot of Republicans in a lot of places in, in Nevada, even though they went for Biden last year. Maybe. And I think that the, you know, the, these counties are daring the governor to go and, and try and do something about it. And, and, and the governor is almost in a no-win situation because... You know, if the governor tries to, you know, instructs the attorney general to go and, and bring a lawsuit, I mean, that's one of those where if you win, you lose, right? I mean, you're going against the, the people in a lot of the counties in the state, and I don't know that they want to do that. It's going out Is on Nevada governor Democrat or Republican? Democrat. He's a Democrat. I mean, I'm not going to bore everybody with this letter, but this letter is also just magnificent. It's almost like Americans talking. So, and the other third piece of really phenomenal news is, did you read the decision by that Florida judge on the mask mandates? Yep. And that was, I actually, I rarely read judicial decisions. Um, Usually they're a bunch of hodgepodge, et cetera, but absolutely magnificent in his talking about constitutional rights, not only of this, again, not only the United States Constitution, but bringing up the 
state constitution, which is even more important and protects you even in a stronger way and saying that the burden of proof is not on the citizen, that it's on the government. That is, again, the cynic in me says it's gonna be overturned, but another American who's speaking up and say, if you wanna restrict constitutional rights, you need a heck of a lot of ammunition and masks are getting in the way of constitutional rights. Now, obviously, I'm not a big believer in courts because the judge himself addressed the moot part of it. And he had a reasoning why he said it's not technically moot. But once a judge rules a case on appeal, it's usually way, way past the time to help anybody, like giving my 365 days of breathing freely back. But it's a phenomenal, phenomenal decision. It was a great decision, yep. And I, again, I love the fact that he kept saying the state constitution, the state constitution, which I don't follow a lot of legal cases, but it's just refreshing to see people remembering that states have rights too in their constitutions, often stronger than the United States constitution. Right, well, it's, it's the, the issue there is if it's, if the Florida constitution protects, gives greater protections than the federal constitution, then there's nothing the feds can do to intervene. That's he, the real- He was really there. magnificent on that. And he apparently, I think he referenced that Florida had passed some kind of amendment in the seventies to actually strengthen it. And they took out the word unreasonable or something from one of the clauses. So it's absolutely fantastic that a judge would do that. So, you know, does anybody know what the rules are in New York? I guess I'm the only New Yorker left here. So apparently they had fireworks to celebrate the lifting of all the restrictions. Um, I don't know if they did, did that in Jersey as well. Now, I have absolutely no clue if New York City is as free as New York State, but I do know that the gym this morning did not ask for a form for the first time in a year and a half almost. So seemingly there's a little bit of freedom ringing, even in well, the city. I know that New York lifted restrictions as of, what, the 15th or the 16th? I think, it was I think 15, yesterday right? was the last horrible day or something. I, has New Jersey lifted them? I don't think New Jersey has lifted them, have they? Ha, has, has it? I don't think they're full, They're definitely not fully lifted. And Murphy still has emergency powers. Um, I think it was extended oh, maybe at least November, if I'm not mistaken. So we're behind <laughs> New Jersey. We're worse than New York. Now, somebody put up a meme, and I have no clue if it's true, that it's merely coincidence that Cuomo's daughter is getting married in three days. I have no idea if that's factually true or not. Um, but obviously, what's complicated is apparently there's still a whole bunch of places where there are, are rules, such as hospitals, preschools, because we know preschool kids are very vulnerable to dying from COVID, obviously. And then all private businesses still can make you wear masks. So as far as I'm concerned, not being as bright as I thought I used to be, I still don't know what the rules are in most places because anybody can force you to wear a mask. I tell you, it's bizarre because, I mean, I've gone to the supermarket and they have a sign basically saying, if you're vaccinated, you don't need a mask. If you haven't been, you probably should be keeping it on and there's nobody enforcing anything. And then uh, I go to a doctor's appointment and the doctor still has a mask on. They won't let you in until they take you have your temperature taken. Uh, there's no rhyme or reason to anything. I mean, I know the hospitals still can demand that I got. Although again, if you're vaccinated, I have no idea why, but 
it's he was very explicit that hospitals can still demand masks. But I was just happy to see the gym, no forms. It's like, what a pleasure. And again, we're 70% vaccinated, which apparently the virus knows that and won't bother the other 30%. What, Jody? No, I was just going to say, I would, I would wager hospitals will be quite some time before they start to scale back on permanent masking. Sadly. Just my thing, my thought. You know, one of you led me to read The Fountainhead. Was it Ed or Ed? Ed. Oh, you made okay. me read it too. I loved it. Which Ed was it? Ed Maslich. Okay. So I had never read it. And I am now listening to the book. And I did it that way too. Ed, I don't know how well you remember that book. There's a phenomenal riff in there about how much can be seen in a person's face more than anything you'll ever learn about a person is in seeing their face. Do you remember that at all? Um, it's my favorite book, but I actually don't remember that passage. So I'm gonna clip it out, the Audible, and, and hopefully and try to share it. It is unbelievable. I have what a whole bunch about of, what you see in the face. I, I, I shared a whole bunch of clips from it. I have them in, I have them saved. Just some so really, you know, prescient stuff. about the face, and so all this thing about wearing masks, the fact is you, you can't smile at a fellow human being and the way, you know, and Rand says it, you literally can't see what a human being is. The face is that important. I, the way it's said is magnificent. Yeah. But we, we tend to, so we're gonna wear masks forever. How many people have said publicly, so what's the harm if we wear masks forever? Well, forget even children, that's the harm. We're not humans crazy agreed so that yeah that book uh i could be cynical and say ed why didn't you make me read that book years ago but i'm i instead i will be grateful because so far it's magnificent it's a fantastic book so okay any other subjects anybody else wants to bring up today i'm good Getting. I'm sorry, Mike. Waiting for Eddie Guns. He's always got something. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, there's a lot going on in the world. You know, there's the whole uh, G7 meeting. Uh, I thought it was amusing that P Putin was, uh, you know, attacking us in the way that he did and attacking Biden the way he did. What did he um, say? I'm not familiar. Okay. Share a little bit. Well, uh, some NBC news anchor asked Putin, uh, Joe Biden said that you're you that he looks in your eyes and sees a killer. What do you think? You know, how do you respond to that? And he said, well, you know, I look at what happened here on January 6th. And, you know, you had people that were just coming into the Capitol voicing political protests and you've arrested them and put them in jail and solitary confinement. What kind of country does that? Uh, that was his response to it. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's that's pretty much what he said. He also and, mentioned the fact that the woman was killed. Oh, yeah. He also mentioned, Ashley, he didn't mention Ashley Babbitt by name, but he mentioned Ashley Babbitt that, you know, one of your police officers just shot an un unarmed protester. You know, what kind of country allows that to happen? And um, 
it just, it's interesting to me. I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to go and, you know, defend or, 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 or offer aid and comfort to, to an enemy like, like Putin is, but, uh, you know, he said more about the Biden administration than any news media outlet here in America did. Isn't it horrible when we've lost the uh, moral ground? I mean, <laughs> how do you defend something like that? We're all up in arms because he, you know, what he did with that Navalny guy and that he supposedly poisons people. But I find it's harder and harder to make the argument that we're that much better. And I know I mentioned that a few weeks ago, but it's very sad. I don't know that it's I mean, you say it's horrible. I mean, I almost feel like it's a good thing that that the left's uh, moral bankruptcy is is being highlighted and being being brought to light. I mean, I, I don't see that as a bad thing. I mean, what Biden, what, what, what the left is doing, what Biden is doing, what Merrick Garland is doing to me, it doesn't reflect on me at all. I, I, I oppose all of it and, and I object to all of it. So I, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I think it's Whoever can speak out against them, that that helps us, I think. Well, that dovetails with the story of the um, the uh, Korean the Korean student, right? Yes. The North Korean girl who, who spoke out and basically was saying that this is worse than practically practically worse than North Korea, where I escaped from. Yeah. Any kind of free thinking is suppressed, and mm -hmm. and. You know, I mean, I share that story because it, it, it resonated and it's scary. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where we're headed. And um, it's the same thing with, with what Putin was saying. We're losing our moral high ground. You know, who are we to say anything about uh, totalitarianism? Well, what do you mean by we, Mike? I, I, see, well, I don't I, feel like I've lost any moral high ground. I understand. It means the country as a whole. Yeah. Culturally, this, this is what the left is imposing on us. This is, this I think that there's a lot of people who can honestly and straightforwardly say Biden doesn't speak for me. He doesn't represent me. Not my but, president. No question. <laughs> but, right. but if you're if you're Putin, you're Putin, or you're some other country around the world, and you're getting the CNN feed or the MSNBC feed, and this is what you see it, that America is like. You know, why, why would you listen to us about about human rights abuses or whatever? You know, <laughs> you wouldn't. Well, I, my response to that, Mike, is as long as Biden's in the White House and his cabinet team is, is, is running things, the less they listen to us, the better. Uh, do yeah. you remember any time in history where America had people in jail for political protests, supposedly some of them in solitary not out on bail. Is this kind of unprecedented besides civil war? Let's leave that. I think long. the Alien and Sedition Acts. Okay. 1798, 1799. So 220 years ago. But otherwise it's pretty unprecedented. I mean, it's not a regular occurrence by any stretch. I mean, I guess you could also say the internment camps for Japanese Americans during the second world war. Yeah. I mean, again, I always want to tell myself it can't happen here. Well, that speaks to what we were talking about earlier and that people don't want to believe certain things. And I think that has been the mindset here for a long time. It can't happen here. Socialism can't happen here. This can't happen here. And then it's also part of it is we, we have so many creature comforts 
mm-hmm. that you know people would rather do this and mm-hmm. so right. we're a combination of all the books like I always say until it hits their doorstep ignore all the signs yeah and first they came for and we're waiting for not to mention Biden's obvious dimension making us a laughing stock um, apparently Australian news really skewered the American media for pretending that this guy's got his head together. Again, I guess you're saying that's not we either. Not to me. No. And I guess we don't I didn't have know to that, vote it for him. Well, they're getting that CNN feed and that MSNBC feed, but not the Sean Hannity feed, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I, and I know, what was it? He mixed up Libya and Syria the other day, but they right away, like the press covers it up for him. So it's like it never happened. And 28 seconds of babbling, and it's like it never happened. And thank God he has his physician with him there all the time. She was supposed to be Surgeon General, right? You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. You don't remember that? I don't remember that one, Steve. Um, I think it was Whoopi Goldberg. I'm pretty sure it was Whoopi Goldberg. Well, she's on The View, right? Yeah. And she said that she's, Look, you could Google oh, that. Jill. Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden Jill. would make a phenomenal surgeon general. And then somebody said, uh, I don't think her doctorate is in medicine. No. It was one of the greatest moments She's of the year. She's not an MD. It was good. And Whoopi looked all confused. What? Really? What? Yep. <laughs> Bring back Jocelyn Elders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just unbelievable. You know, Ed... I don't remember if, if you addressed this, but this idea that the Biden people are sort of throwing Kamala to the dogs. I don't remember. Did you address that? No, I don't think I addressed that. Because some mean? people are saying that they're actually actively undermining her. Now, I'm not quite sure what they gain by it, but by giving her immigration, the border, um, the voting rights acts and stuff, they're setting her up to fail very publicly and miserably. And they're trying to undercut her in some way, either to keep him in office longer. I don't really know what the end game is, but there's definitely a school of thought out there that it's not coincidental that they're giving her jobs that can't be done. And that she's for sure not qualified for. Please don't yell, what is she qualified for? Because then we got to bring up the brown guy and we don't want to go there. (laughs) I don't really see the logic behind that strategy, though. I mean, who would be the one that wants would want to keep Biden in longer and who would be the maybe one that wants that's to not her? it maybe what? they they know they want Biden now they just don't want her the one to follow but how do they get rid of her if he so, doesn't last his first term there's no way to get rid of her I don't know because if if he's not there to run against whoever's running in 2024 for some reason maybe I don't know. I'm just well, saying. I guess you're right. If she were vice president, if she became president, they could set up that somebody could primary her out and maybe yeah. that's part of it. But it's obvious the Democrats didn't like her going in. You know, she didn't poll very well. She didn't do very well in anything. And that's at least what some people are saying is that he said, I don't think it's him. I don't think Biden's that smart. But they're setting her up to, instead of hiding what a fool she is, to actually show the whole world. I mean, her cackling in the, on the world stage that's really, really sad. Now, I don't believe she's ever ticked off the Clintons, so she's probably physically safe. Why are people smiling? 
Well, that's actually, I was thinking that was one story we didn't touch on the, the Arkansas side of uh, that reporter who disclosed, you know, who, who broke the story on Clinton meeting Loretta Lynch on the tarmac in Phoenix. In that's what they're talking about their grandchildren, right? What'd you say? They were talking about their grandchildren. That was the story that they gave. Again, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. Why would it be a conspiracy theory? I mean, I, I think it's clear that he's not running again. And no, I'm talking about the gentleman, the uh, guy who uh, died by suicide. Okay. You know, you're not allowed to say committed suicide anymore. <laughs> oh no! What do you say? Died by suicide. Committed suicide is blaming the victim, and I've heard this on a whole bunch of uh, psychotherapy webinars. It's another thing. God help us. Now, apparently you are allowed to say the R word if you're a Democratic senator from New York, but nobody else is. And even he may have to apologize. You heard about Schumer, right? What's the story? Um, am I allowed to say the R word if I say it in terms of what we're not allowed to say? Sure. Children who were developmentally delayed the technical diagnosis for them on Axis 2 and the DSM used to be mentally R word. Oh, okay. I won't say the word. And apparently Schumer used that word this week. Now, had any Republican used that word, they would be out of office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that, for some reason, even though it was the diagnostic term, the official medical term, which you're not allowed to use it anymore. Yeah. Well, if anyone could use it, I think Chuck Schumer is a good candidate to use it. Are you saying that he may have been passing by a mirror? When he was... we'll, we'll call it projection. It takes one. To... <laughs> I think, Jody, you were on the right track there. You could finish that thought. It's one to no one. <laughs> Pretty sad. So, yeah. Ed, Although I don't want to I don't want to speak down to people with the genetic issue that they're in any way like and we weren't going to talk about Jew jewish liberals so <laughs> yeah any other stories that are like uh major out there that we're not covering well israel obviously what's going on there but i don't know if you want to touch on so that. what do you think is going on there I, honestly, I, I don't know. I would defer to others on that with the whole Netanyahu situation. But, you know, I consider him an ally of freedom and to see him ousted obviously concerns me. So I could probably talk for six hours. I may be an expert. I may be not an expert. And at the end of six hours, it would all be passe already because it changes so fast. Um, one side of the story is that Netanyahu was so full of himself and managed to tick off so many people that they literally, for personal reasons of being dissed by him repeatedly in horrible ways, personally and politically, decided they will go to any length to get him out of office, including doing things that they swore they would never do. Um, the other side, of course, is that the press hated his guts, the left hated his guts. They came up with all these indictments against him, which never happened in our country, of course. And even though most of those indictments are pretty much falling apart and the more information that comes out, they seem to have been totally, as they say in Hebrew, woven together out of whole cloth and a lot of exculpatory stuff not having been disclosed to his defense, et cetera, et cetera. 
So it may have been just a coup from the media and the left. It seems like had he not ticked off so many people for so many years, he probably could have survived. And the other issue is that had he, quote, stepped aside from leadership of his party, so his party won 30 seats, the prime minister now won seven. That is ridiculously unprecedented that it's not the leader of a large party to be prime minister. That's never happened before. So a lot of people saying had he stepped aside, his party could have kept the prime minister's office, et cetera, et cetera, and that it was his arrogance that wouldn't let him. Of course, the other argument is he's been so great for Israel, who cares? Because obviously he's taken Israel from a third world socialist country to a, I think it's like a top 10 power in the world today. The economy booms, militarily they boom. So it's ridiculously complicated. And then the question is, will the government last at all? Well, you're certainly a lot more expert in that subject than I am, but, but I'll, I'll offer a couple of my thoughts on it. First of all, Naftali Bennett is a, is a good politician, and I think that he's a more conservative guy than, than Netanyahu was. He supports free markets. And so far as he being in, he's, he's in charge, I don't think that Israel is going to reverse course on, on the progress that Netanyahu made. But I also think, I think that, well, my question is how many, how many rockets have to fall on Israel before Netanyahu decides he's going to take out the enemy? And I understand that world opinions against him, but um, world opinions against him, no matter what he does, he didn't do anything and, and it's still against him. So to me, I think that it's, it's, it's time for him to move on in, in the same way domestically in the U.S., I think Donald Trump had his chance. He did some. He did a lot of really good things, um, but I, it really bothers me all the talk of him running again. And you know, sometimes these guys have to learn to. You know, they had their time. They had their chance. They did. They did a lot of good things. We don't hate them, or I don't hate them, but it's time to step aside and let somebody else take you further. So literally, and I think that's where where, where Israel hours. was, and I think that's where America is. You can argue you there's say? twelve hours on each side. It's so complicated. The defenders of Bennett say exactly what you said. He's to the right of Netanyahu. I used to be a super fan of Bennett. Um, it seems slightly more likely fifty-one four to nine forty-nine that he doesn't believe a word he's saying either anymore, and that he sold out every principle he ever had because he did publicly swear up and down that under no circumstances would he ever do what he did. Um, he's joined up with the hard left and he's got a government that's resting on three Arabs. And the fact is that the minute he wants to shoot back, those three Arabs say we're leaving and he's no longer prime minister. It's just that simple. So even if he is on the right and strong, he doesn't have a lot of power. Now I heard another guy on a, on a radio show last week say, that he has more power than that because apparently the security cabinet and certain other major committees or whatever are stacked by the right. But I don't know how that answers the fact that three Arabs, only one of them has to pull out and the government collapses. He needs 60 to 61 people every day because every day you can file a no confidence vote. And if he doesn't have the 60 or 61, the whole thing falls apart. So I don't, I just don't know. Nobody understands how he can do anything against the Arabs when the Arabs are in his or in the government. And that's that's never happened in Israel. And he's got some really far left parties. 
So yeah, except that once Netanyahu's gone, you know, if, if Bennett starts doing things well, first of all, it, it, there's no there's no reason why he can't, his party can't improve on the seven seats it has, and once Netanyahu is gone, there's no reason why his party can't partner with Likud. Um, I think there is, unfortunately, because he's I. Can I be wrong? Yes. But I think his credibility has been 100% shot. When you go on TV and say over and over and over and sign papers, swearing you won't do what you do, um, literally, specifically, I will never join with this guy who he joined to. I will never let Lapid be prime minister who he's letting be prime minister. I know that the religious right, which is the big support of Netanyahu's party and Bennett's party, had a prayer session at the Western Wall while he was being sworn in to take him down. So his, if his um, base is the religious Zionist community, he's really shot them to hell. His problem is he's been, that used to be his base, but he's been playing to the left and the left is never gonna love him. The only reason they love him now is because he was able to get Netanyahu out. And I think he's destroyed his base on the right. His party may come back. I don't see him having a political future. I'd be shocked. There's another guy, Gidon Saar, who may be in a better position to go back to Netanyahu's party, maybe. If, if Bennett's not shot um, politically, then I can't make any predictions because he just broke everything. So that, that's my best opinion I can give you. It could change tomorrow. Because Israeli politics makes us like pikers. Because can you imagine if we had a no confidence system where we could sink the government every day by a vote? So, and one of the problems with that is, so yes, in America, politicians are always politicking. And they're always polling. And they're always seeing what's best for them, a la, you know, House of Cards. But in Israel, you can literally change the government any day. So if you have a choice between governing and figuring out how to get more power, which are you going to do? So it's, which makes it kind of uh, hard to govern. I appreciate getting uh, that take from you because I don't really know much about Israeli politics. It's so much more complicated than that. And if you, if you read the right-wing papers and the left-wing papers and you listen to the left-wing radio and the right-wing radio, you're going to get another 10 hours on each side of this argument. I tend to be on the right politically in Israel and I follow it not as much as I used to, but pretty well. But there's so many moving pieces. I'm not sure anybody can claim expertise. I know some do, but there's just no way of knowing. So do you think that this weakens Israel, um, you know, in terms of uh, all the threats that they face in the Middle East? I mean, uh, my perception is always Netanyahu's a strong guy. You know, See, the problem is like, you know, kind of like what Ed said, Netanyahu, you know, knifed the right in the back many, many times. He basically didn't keep any of his promises and he hasn't been keeping his promises for 12 years. And he kind of does what the senators do in the United States a month before elections. He promises again and everybody votes for him again because what's the alternative? So has he reneged on almost everything he's ever said? Yes. Is he better than everybody else? He still may be. So do I think it weakens Israel? I think it does, and I hope I'm wrong. I'm not sure. Um, time is going to tell, can Bennett stand up, A, to America, 
and B to the other parties in the coalition, it's, it's just so difficult to tell. Because everybody's vying for cabinet positions and other offices. It, there's just too many moving parts over there. So who knows? I happen to believe Netanyahu was the strongest in that, and still he reneged on everything. So I'm not sure why. Bennett, very hard to tell. The only good thing about Bennett, he speaks a wonderful English. He's incredibly presentable, which I think is a good thing for Israel. But his, his co-prime minister, his quote, alternate prime minister, basically had a TV anchor's job in the military and then goes yelling that nobody else is in the military. Well, a lot of people would have loved to have his job. So who knows? We will follow. I'm not sure what it's going to do with, you know, the peace deals that the non-Nobel Prize winner went, um, Mr. Trump, who I think did not get a Nobel Peace Prize for making eight treaties or something. No. It'll be interesting to see how those Arabs measure up the new Israeli government and decide what to do about Iran. And I think that'll tell a lot also, if there's any way to know what they really think. So that's my Israeli spiel. And I don't read Arabic, so I don't have access to Arab papers, which would probably be fascinating at this point. Because as we all know, they don't, even the same paper doesn't write the same thing in two different languages. So if I want to know what's going on in Russia, I'm not going to read the Russian Times. I'm going to want to read it in Russian. When I want to know what's going on in Israel, I want to read it in Hebrew. So I wish I had somebody who read Arabic right now. And they have more at stake, so. Anyway, with that, we will close. Um, instead of celebrating this week, next week we will celebrate our first anniversary, which I think is a wonderful milestone. Today was show number 52. The calendar is kind of quirky. Next week is a lot closer to the one year anniversary. So I thank all of my co-hosts and congratulate us, but more next week. And with that- Sounds great. We will be up That's as a good. podcast very shortly. And I thank you all. This was a wonderful show. Have a good Thanks, day. Thanks everyone. Thanks, guys.